It's time to talk about all things mental health. This is Get Mental with Cecile Ahrens. As a seasoned licensed therapist, Cecile is the owner of Transcend Therapy and is here to inform, guide, and connect you on the big and small everyday happenings that affect our mental and emotional well-being. Cecile is passionate about making a lasting and positive impact on people, connecting them to their own wisdom and strength while having a little fun along the way. Get ready to challenge the power of your human spirit. It's time to get mental. And now here's your host, Cecile Ahrens. All the things they say should matter, corrupted by the senseless chatter. Everybody, welcome to Get Mental here on The Answer San Diego, 1170 AM, 96.1 FM in North County. Thank you for being with us today. This is your host, Cecile Ahrens, licensed psychotherapist in San Diego, California, and owner of Transcend Therapy, where we provide individual, couples, and family counseling. You can check us out at transcendtherapyca.com. TranscendTherapyCA.com. We have a jam-packed show this morning, and it's going to be a fun one because we will be talking about Halloween and the psychology behind Halloween. Why do people dress up uh, so wildly sometimes, and people get really silly, and for some people, get pretty inappropriate. So we're going to try to understand the psychology behind that. So we have a fun show, like I said. We're going to mix it up here at Get Mental. We're also going to talk about the recent sex, the latest on the sex scandals at NBC. And also I'm going to provide some um, very interesting updates that are happening in the country, especially in California, with regards to mental health. So stick around for that. Get Mental is where we discuss all things mental health and where we try to destigmatize and normalize conversations about mental health. If you want to suggest future topics, have burning questions, or want to learn more about us, check out our website at transcendtherapyca.com, transcendtherapyca.com. So first up, Halloween. We are a country obsessed with Halloween. It's so ridiculous. How, how we get into Halloween here in the U.S. We spend billions of dollars per year on this occasion, from the costume, the candy, the decor. In fact, in 2015, we apparently spent over $7 billion, $7 billion to celebrate this event. It's really surprising to me that it's not a national holiday. But some fun facts about, about Halloween to begin with. Did you know that Halloween is the second largest commercial holiday in the U.S.? And the biggest holiday is Christmas. Many of you probably guessed that one. And Halloween actually has its origins on pagan festivals that were held around the end of October in England, Wales, Scotland, and Ireland. And people believe that at this time of year, the spirits of dead people could come alive and walk among the living. They really did believe that. And there's a lot, there were a lot of rituals around that. So Celtic people of Ireland, who celebrated an event called Samhain, which marked the end of the harvest season, which was believed to be the time when ghosts, believe it or not, ghosts visited the earth, they dressed up as a way to hide from the so-called ghosts or spirits. That's how this whole dressing up thing started. So because they believed that these ghosts or spirits would return at this time of year. So they would dress up like them so that the real ghosts, quote unquote, real ghosts, would think that they were fellow spirit or ghosts too. Wow, right? Aren't you glad we don't live in such times? I mean, really? All that effort to hide from the evil spirits sounds pretty out there, but this was their reality. And then people would place bowls of food outside to make the ghosts happy and so that they also wouldn't want to enter their house. So that's how the whole like, you know, leaving candy outside um, our porches started because back in the day they actually did um, 
leave food outside of their homes. And then another interesting uh, fact here is that the jack-o'-lanterns were originally carved out of turnips. But when the tradition, the tradition came to the U.S., pumpkins were more available and everything else is history, as you know. Irish immigration were the ones who brought Halloween to us in America in the 19th century. And like I said, the costumes were typically um, of ghosts, witches, and devils. And it was not until the 1930s, I believe, that the costumes became more commercialized and was expanded to, you know, represent uh, characters and, um, and so forth. So that is a little bit of history there for you. What do you think are uh, the most famous Halloween costumes? I wish you guys could answer me right now. But some of them include Star Wars characters, uh, Alf, Madonna, Ninja Turtles, Star Trek, Power Rangers. And then in the 2000s, you had Harry Potter, the Joker, which I talked about last week, Britney Spears, Spider-Man, and then more recently, it's the Avengers, Game of Thrones, Frozen, and Wonder Woman. I tell you, I tell you what, Frozen is everywhere. I went to my kids' Halloween uh, festival, and almost every other girl was Frozen. It's, it's amazing. So why do you think people dress up on Halloween, right? And why do they choose the costumes that they do? To me, as a, as a therapist and somebody who's very interested in human behavior, I, I wanted to really explore that question. And why do sometimes people dress a little risque or inappropriate during this time of year? I'm going to ask my producer to come in here and help me unpack this. This is Todd, our producer, and um, he is going to share some of his thoughts on Halloween and why All people right. dress up. Hi, Todd. Hello. Thanks for having me on the show. A very interesting facts there about uh, the Irish bringing Halloween. I'd never heard that. That's yes. very interesting. And some of the original uh, costumes are still around. You still see ghosts and yes. devils so and, and witches every once in a while. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Right. But I think now they're deemed as a little boring. Yeah. Kind you of know? like, oh, that's kind of last minute. Yes. It's put together. Like, can you? <laughs> Especially the ghost. <laughs> The guy, and then if it's like there's patterns on the sheets, then you oh, know yes. he really didn't go out and get like a white sheet. He just used his sheet. Exactly. And like now it's like you have to go all out. Yeah. You know, if you want to get some attention or make it worth your time. Yeah. I, so. um, I was, do you have a question for me? Yeah. Okay. Like wh why do you think people dress up? Uh, and, and why do they, you know, I mean, I can't be rated R on this show, but... I think you can read between the lines. Like a lot of people, in my opinion, dress really provocatively, mm -hmm. sometimes very inappropriate around this time. And do you have any thoughts on why that is? A attention. attention. I think the main thing is attention. And it, it is socially acceptable um, to go out, for the most part, in those costumes. For a long time, my thing was to pick controversial uh -huh. uh, costumes because as a man, I can't really dress <laughs> sexy or whatever. I don't have the body for well, it. Well, you can. It's so, just going to be frowned upon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I would try to find costumes that were kind of topical. Um, you know, if somebody had passed away recently, I would be like a zombie version of them. Oh. Or uh, there was a football player who uh, was in trouble for um, beating up his girlfriend. And oh, so I went yes. as him one year. Um, so with, you try to, you like to stir yeah. the pot so, uh, and, yeah. and it's, it's our it's opportunity like to kind of do that. And I think women, uh, use that as well as, as kind of everything goes, anything goes, um, for the most part, I think, you know, as adults dressing up, uh -huh. you, that's another thing is that you can't really have like a, because there's that big gap from when you're little and you're dressing up as your favorite cartoon character yes. or whatnot. Yeah, what happened? And then you become, like, you know, in your later teens, you're like, oh, I'm not dressing up for Halloween. But then later on in your adult life, when you get invited to parties, mm -hmm. you have to be dressed up. And, and kind of if you don't want to be boring or if you don't want to kind of kind of just be like anybody else, you want to pick a costume that'll stand out. Yes. For guys, I think it's um, something clever, uh -huh. something very funny, something different, very clever. And for women, their opportunity is to be sexy. 
Yes. So, and, and you see in the stores too, always sexy <laughs> oh versions of these really random things, even like sexy ninja turtle costume. <laughs> or, or a sexy, sexy nurse. Yeah. Well, those are, you kind of think of, but when it's like a kid's <laughs> cartoon thing, you're like, huh? Sexy ninja turtle. Or I even saw a sexy, the snow guy, snowman from Fro uh, Frozen. You were talking right. about Frozen? <laughs> And it was like a girl with the, you know, the, he had a, her, the guy on the top, but she had like a yeah. very small tube top. In it. So it's just. I have, a, I have a problem with that because it's like, you know, it was, it's, it's, the, it's like it's socially acceptable to sexualize women even more so than we already are. Yeah. You I know? Mean, and women, we, we women participate in that too. Yeah. So we can't, you know, put the finger on other people either. Those but. costumes are made for a reason. I mean, honestly, that's why it's a billion dollar yeah. industry. We crazy. Yeah. So that's my, my opinion yeah. is that it, it's, and then also when you go to, to a, a Halloween party, for the most part, it's at someone's house. Um, sometimes it could be at a bar or whatnot, yes. but you know, a lot of times as an adult, when you go to a Halloween party, it's actually at a house. So yes. maybe it's, you know, you're around closer friends and yes. kind of small confines, but in this day of social media, just because you're in someone's house doesn't mean that picture of you and the sexy whatever is not going to be posted. All oh, yes. I'm going to talk about so. that, too, actually. Um, but, yeah, it's one of the biggest holidays here, events here in San Diego. One of my really good friends actually is the one who hosts the event, the Zombie Zombie Crawl oh, okay, downtown. Yeah. Wow. And that's one of her biggest events of the year because it just goes to show how many adults really, like, go out of their way to um, act out some of these characters or these you know, kind of uh, unconscious, I'm going to call them unconscious psychological desires. So we're going to break that down. All right, Thank you so much, okay. Todd. I appreciate your input. Bye. Bye. So that was Todd, our producer. So here might be some possible and plausible explanations for why people dress up the way that they do. Um, first of all, there's an unwritten social contract to act silly sexy or wild during Halloween. And, you know, I think there might also be some form of repression and uh, or secret desire to act out certain aspects of your chosen character's personality. Because perhaps there is a part of you that can relate to the part of that character. And in therapy, in mental health, there's actually a uh, specific intervention called internal family systems, IFS, which I happen to utilize a lot of its principles, where, you know, you explore a person's parts. So my theory is that there is a part of us that is um, identifying with a part of that person or character, sorry. So also, like Todd was saying, it's socially acceptable to misbehave or be naughty or push the boundaries. It's that one day in the year where you can get away with stuff. So why not do it, right? And for some, it can be a, a way to make a statement, either political or a social statement. And it sometimes may also be a passive-aggressive way to get a point across. And sometimes people just want to be funny about it, right? Kind of just, you know, approach something that maybe is so serious in a, in a lighthearted way. Um, so there's that. Another theory is the power of anonymity. And I really think that's um, very true for most of us. There's actually one study that suggested that the simple illusion of anonymity was enough to increase people's chances of acting more inappropriately and acting less morally. So this may be why people um, decide to dress less conservatively or provocatively. Um, I think, uh, you know, even though you can also recognize who that person is. There's the suggestion of anonymity, the illusion of anonymity, according to this study, can lead people to feel more comfortable acting um, or dressing more inappropriately. So another story or theory, sorry, is that here's a really interesting one, and this has all uh, been researched, is that some people feel truly rewarded by fear. There's apparently evidence that these people's brain chemistry differs from, say, my brain chemistry because I do not like being scared or spooked. I mean, I can do it, but it's definitely not my first choice of things to do for fun. Anyway, these folks tend to end up with more dopamine 
in their system because apparently they have um, brain cells that are not able to release their brain dopamine as well as, say, other people. Okay, so did you catch that? Like, they, they are not able to release the dopamine as easily as, say, someone like me who doesn't feel rewarded by fear. And what is dopamine? Dopamine is a neurotransmitter that plays a major role in our reward system. And it is also known as a feel-good uh, neurotransmitter. It's basically responsible um, for us feeling pleasure, satisfaction. It's responsible or it can help boost our mood, our motivation, and our, and our attention. So I think that's an interesting theory. Actually, it's not a theory. It's, it's an actual evidence-based uh, finding that some people just uh, have a brain that feels more rewarded by fear. That explains a lot. I didn't know that. So, you know, that explains a lot of why some of my friends are really into it and really find it rewarding and pleasurable and fun and seek it out. So there you go, guys. Get mental, educating you and myself. Another theory is that Halloween and events, um, the, the events around Halloween and Halloween itself is known to trigger a fight or flight response in some people, right? Think of all the scary, spooky stuff, um, the games, the haunted houses, the scary stories, the scary movies. Well, physiologically, that will uh, usually um, spark or trigger a fight or flight response in us. And when we're triggering that, all the adrenaline and the dopamine and the endorphins flood our system. The exception is we are in a safe space while we're doing all of this. So that's what can make it even more fun because you're getting all the high, so to speak, but there's actually not really a real threat. So this may also explain why kids get so excited about it, right? Because on some level, they know that it's, it's pretend. I mean, my, I have a five-year-old and it, he already knows that a lot of this is pretend which is fascinating, actually, because I'm still trying to create a fantasy world for him. But they're not as gullible as you think. And there's actually another study about that that I can't get into. But there's actually real a re couple of real studies around using candy to um, influence kids. And basically, in the end, they realize that, you know, kids are not as gullible as you think. And that some of, a lot of them are already looking for evidence to support what you're telling them. So... Just a little, little tidbit there for you. Um, so speaking of children, I'd like to clarify some stuff around children's safety on Halloween because I think there is a myth um, that kids may be at risk with um, when they're trick-or-treating because, you know, I think there's a myth out there that some deranged person may decide to put poison on the candy or razor blades and apples, right? Pretty disturbing. But the good news is these stories are really more urban legends than facts. And I believe there's only one known real case uh, where this actually happened when I did some research. And it was back in 1974. That was a long time ago. And this was one case of a man who actually did put poison in candy. I think it was cyanide, actually, which did result in the death of his own son. He was, you know, obviously very uh, sick and mentally unstable, to say the least. But that's the only case that I know of where that actually happened. So parents, no need to be majorly concerned. I think trick-or-treating is generally safe, and just make, your, make sure your child is accompanied by a responsible adult who has good judgment. And hopefully, you know, you're trick-or-treating trick with your child or children, if that's possible and appropriate. And last thing I want to say about that is um, all the drinking and partying that usually accompanies Halloween is, it, I don't have the, the data, but um, there are a lot of um, information that shows a, a high link of binge drinking around the holidays period, um, especially if the, the event uh, falls on a weekend. Law enforcement tend to get even more hypervigilant and prepare extra uh, because of all the, the risk factors combined. Um, so please be safe. Try not to overdo it. 
have a buddy system, you know, all the things you guys already know about, but sometimes people still make poor choices even though they already know this stuff. Don't drink and drive. There's really no good reason to do that these days. Take an Uber, have a plan, look after each other if you're going out as a group, have fun. Um, but like I said, don't overdo it. It's usually not worth it, okay? That's my unsolicited advice. But also, lastly, be careful of your costume choice because nowadays in the digital age, some of these things can haunt you, right? And the stuff you put uh, post on social media can start to haunt you. So try to be appropriately inappropriate. That's what I say. Um, you know, remember that senator from Virginia, Ralph Northam? Granted, it was his yearbook uh, picture where he was photographed either with a black face or as a KKK. But nonetheless, that photo nearly ended his career. So guys, be mindful and think it through before you sport the costume of your choice. Think long-term, okay? So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to talk about all the recent um, updates on the NBC sex scandals and other fun stuff. So stay tuned. Supporting local business isn't always convenient, but at Ortiz Market, it is. Ortiz Market has all your shopping needs right at the corner of Escondido Boulevard and 13th Avenue in Escondido. They're family-owned and operated and feature a huge selection of local beverages. And if they don't have what you're looking for, they'll order it for you. That means you can get what you want without the long lines you find at big-name supermarkets. The best part is they care about serving our community and are here to join the fight to destigmatize mental health and let people know you are not alone. Visit Ortiz Market today at the corner of Escondido Boulevard and 13th Avenue in Escondido. Welcome back, guys. You're listening to Get Mental Radio. And this is your host, Cecile Ahrens, owner of Transcend Therapy, where we provide individual, couples, and family counseling. Check us out at transcendtherapyca.com, transcendtherapyca.com. We're here to help you. And if you're in California, we can provide um, services through the phone or video or face-to-face if you're in San Diego. We also have a podcast called Get Mental, which you can access uh, pretty much everywhere you listen to your podcast. Again, it's called Get Mental. And just a shout-out to our sponsor, Ortiz Market. Thank you so much for um, standing up with us against uh, the fight um, against our mental health crisis in this country today. So moving along. I want to talk about the recent developments on the sexual assault scandals at NBC. And I don't know if you guys, um, especially for for my listeners outside of the U.S., if you are aware of what's happening in that studio. So I'll give you a little background. Um, Matt Lauer was an anchor who was fired. He was a longtime anchor over there, very reputable, very well-respected, and he was fired because of an alleged sexual harassment slash sexual assault of another female staff. He denies this, and we all know, you know, that um, NBC decided to fire him because they had, you know, enough evidence, so to speak, to be concerned about this uh, allegation. And what's happening now, fast forward to today, is... Ronan Farrow, a journalist who's actually the son of um, Woody, Al- Woody Allen and Mia Farrow. Ronan Farrow, the journalist um, who, who outed Harvey Weinstein, wrote a book called Catch and Kill. So Weinstein is um, pretty much, you know, a uh, part of the, the, the media and NBC. So there's a lot of like kind of intricate r- ties going on between NBC and uh, Weinstein just because of how powerful Weinstein is. But anyway, he wrote a book called Catch and Kill, and it's basically to expose NBC's alleged cover-up and complicitness in the alleged sexual crimes and sexual misconduct going on under the NBC roof. And then Megan Kelly, who used to work there, she was a Fox um, anchor person, anchor woman. Um, she moved over there, as some of you may know, 
to kind of rebrand herself. She went on the uh, Tucker Carlson show not too long ago after like pretty much being, you know, uh, under the radar for a couple of years um, because she felt really strongly about this issue. And um, she basically was calling for an independent investigation because uh, how she's, how, you know, to use her words, NBC investigated themselves, which is just not how it's done. Um, so why am I talking about this? Because I'm frankly sickened and deeply disturbed by the whole thing, the whole abuse of power, right? Powerful people protecting each other. For the sake of what? For the sake of what? More power, more money, more opportunities. Unbelievable, unbelievable. And frankly, so hypocritical if these were all to be true because the very establishment, i.e. the media, in this case, specifically NBC, who is supposed to tell the truth, hold people accountable, and protect us, massively failed. They massively failed. This is what is at the heart of journalism. You're supposed to tell the truth. You're supposed to hold, pe hold people accountable and protect the American people. But if these were all to be true, which the facts of the story seem to point out, that thus far it is true, it's so scary to me as an American citizen. So corrupt, so scary. Who do we trust then? Who do we trust then? Media is so powerful. They are so powerful, and I'm so glad that someone like Ronan Farrow has enough balls and guts to actually take them um, you know, take them down. I, I don't think that's actually his motive. I think he just wants to do the right thing. He actually won a Pulitzer Prize for all his work on this too, by the way. So, you know, sex has nothing to do with sex, sexual violence. And I, you know, I talked about this in another show, but I, I'm going to say it again. Sex has nothing to do with sexual violence. It's all about power and control, everyone. Do not be mistaken. So in this case, what disturbs me even more is that this is a total abuse of power on a broader level, right? Because not only are, were, were some of these guys perpetuating sexual crimes, that's what really, well, that's what they're called, it's a crime, um, but the fact that they colluded by covering it up is another layer of their abuse of their power, okay? They, they are alleged to have cover up these sexual crimes. So how could they get away with that? Not okay. How could they get away with that? And the women, oh, the women, my heart goes out to them. I don't care what your political affiliation is as a woman and as a sexual abuse survivor. I know firsthand how incredibly difficult and frightening, frightening it is to come forward. It took me years to own my story, to tell somebody. And, you know, these are women of power, of status, beautiful, successful women who were terrified to come out. That's the power of sexual uh, violence. You know, it can, it can make even the most powerful uh, woman with many resources and supports to still, you know, be ashamed of it or afraid of it. It can silence even the most powerful uh, women. Oh, man, as you can tell, I'm getting all fired up. So I find it so interesting that a male journalist, of all people, a male journalist is spearheading this whole movement to expose the perpetrators. Ronan Farrow, thank you for your courage. Thank you for your fierce determination. Thank you for truly caring about this issue and for sacrificing your career for this fight. I hope that truth and justice will prevail, and I wish I could personally thank you one day. That would be such a dream come true. We have a shared responsibility here, ladies and gentlemen, a shared responsibility. This, is, this isn't just a woman's issue, right? It shouldn't be. 
um, because that woman is someone's mother, someone's sister, someone's friend, someone's daughter. It goes on and on and on. We're all implicated in this, okay? And like I said, I'm thankful, and it's time that a man help us take care of the business of sexual assault. On that note, Get Mental will be airing an episode on sexual violence, and it's called What's Sex Got to Do With It? And it will air on Saturday, November 2nd, here on The Answer San Diego, 1170 AM, 96.1 FM in North County. Again, 11, uh, November 2nd, 6 AM. Um, tune in so you can learn more about sexual violence, why people do this kind of stuff, what you can do to help yourself if you're a survivor. I also talk a little bit about what you can do to help yourself if you happen to have sexually um, been inappropriate or abusive to other people. Because you're part of, Get Mental cares about you too. This isn't just about survivors and victims. This is about everybody that's involved in this game. And perpetrators are usually victims too. So, you know, there's only a small percentage of perpetrators that are really um, pathological and cannot be rehabilitated. But in my experience, a lot of times stuff has happened to them too. You know, I'm not making excuses for them. I'm just saying if we're talking about this, we got to get real. And the the real way to prevent it is to help perpetrators, not just victims. So um, let's, uh, yeah, let's all work together because it takes a village, guys, and we need to come together to address the issues of our day. Thank you so much for, for listening this far. So for those of you just tuning in, you are listening to Get Mental Radio, sponsored in part by Transcend Therapy, where we provide individual, couples, and family counseling. For more information about us and our services, please check out our website at transcendtherapyca.com, transcendtherapyca.com, or email us at transcendtherapy at gmail.com, transcendtherapy at gmail.com with any questions or topics you would like to learn more about or just any comments about the show, okay? So I'd like to answer a question here. Um, This one is from Mike in Santee. Mike would like to know, are we doing any better than the previous generation regarding sexual violence? And do you think that the Me Too movement has hurt or harmed the cause? Great question, Mike. I'm going to repeat that. Are we doing any better than the previous generation regarding sexual violence? And do you think that the Me Too movement has hurt or harmed the cause? So I personally think that we have definitely improved as a country in the way we understand and respond to sexual violence and the fact that now we are, you know, feeling more comfortable talking about it and um, holding people accountable for what they're doing. As a matter of fact, the Rape and uh, the rape Abuse and Incest National Network estimates that the rate of sexual assault has fallen by more than 50% in recent years. So that's great news for all of us. Now, the Me Too movement. I'm all about it. I think it's great. I think, you know, um, it's really helped women come forward, including myself, and it, it's helped uh, victims feel validated, right? That, you know, we're not alone and that uh, people care about, about this, this um, the crime um, that, you know, that largely still affects women. So I think it's done a great job in um, highlighting sexual violence and humanizing the victims, right? We're no long, it's no longer theoretical or ambiguous. Um, many people have chosen to no longer be anonymous or to hide in the shame, you know, of sexual assault, which the shame doesn't belong to us anyway, but that's part of the kind of how the trauma gets processed for a sexual abuse or assault victim. That's kind of part of what they have to let go of. So it's a good thing overall, and it's, it's uh, long overdue, Mike. But having said that, I also think um, the Me Too movement may have hurt the cause by inadvertently excluding women whose politics may be different from the politics of the majority who came forward, which are usually or majority were Democrats, um, or at least that's what it looks like anyway on the outside. And I think, I think I'm pretty right on about that. 
So in other words, I think many survivors who are affiliated with the Republican Party do not feel represented by the movement. And so that's a problem. And that actually makes me, you know, sad and worried because this should be the one issue that should unite us as women. But instead, it's, you know, causing further divide, um, again, along political party lines. So those are my thoughts on that. I don't know how to bridge that gap. I don't have any um, suggestions. I haven't really thought about it that deeply yet, to be honest with you. But I, I that is my observation. And um, doing some of the research that I did, um, there there is a lot of uh, anecdotal evidence to support that. A lot of time, a, a lot of Republican women don't feel fully supported or included in in the Me Too movement, even though they may also be um, victimized themselves. So again, uh, Mike, thank you. Great question. And most of all, thank you for caring about the issue. We need people like you to, um, you know, join join the party, so to speak. So we have reached a new segment of the show, and it's called Mental Health Update, because I think it's important for everyone to, um, you know, be informed about what's happening out there in our world and internationally about about mental health in our country and, like I said, the world. So one update that I thought would be uh, good for people to know, especially because we have a high um, military and veteran population here, is that a bill recently passed the House unanimously, which would extend the aid offered to homeless vets to their children too. So some of you may wonder, like, why? Why is that a good thing? Because um, what usually happens is many housing programs only receive funding to house the veteran, not their kids, right? And so as you can imagine, that would usually create a lot of conflict for the parent, usually it's female veterans that are affected actually by this because a lot of times the kids are with the, the mom. You know, they have to choose between do I do I get housing for myself and like separate from my children? So now at least they don't have to think about that, that they can just, well, it's, it hasn't passed fully yet. It's waiting to be passed in the Senate. But it's exciting because if it does pass and um, President Trump approves it, which I don't, I don't see him not doing that, um, is, um, like I said, the, the, the veterans wouldn't have to choose between housing themselves and being separated from the children. The whole family can just get the help without separation. This could literally be life-changing for a veteran and his or her family, right? You know what I just thought about as I'm talking about that is all this talk on family separation, right? And here we are, not we haven't even addressed the family separation issue of veterans wow that just um i literally just an just had an aha moment as i'm explaining that because i'm all about in, fi- family inclusivity and i used to work at the uh, detention facility um down in otay mesa not too long ago i i was uh, contracted with department of homeland security so i know firsthand what's happening over there and I cannot wait to share with you guys my immigration stories and my perspective because it literally changed me politically and personally. Um, so stay tuned for that because that's going to be a, a bit of a um, a shocker for for a lot of my the people that know me. And I, I don't really talk about it a lot actually because <laughs> I'm a little worried of the backlash. But uh, once I'm ready to share that story. I want you to know it's 100% true and real and factual. And that's why I left because I, I just couldn't deal with um, with a lot of the things that were against what I believed in. But anyway, um, back to what I was talking about. You know, here here we are talking about family separation of immigrants and detainees, which I think is important to address, but we haven't even addressed the family separation that a lot of our veterans are faced with. So I really hope this bill passes um, because it will be literally life-changing for vets. Another um, 
disturbing mental health update is a uh, VA, Veterans um, Affairs pathologist, was charged with manslaughter due to the deaths of three veteran patients. And this uh, pathologist was also alleged to have botched up to three, uh, botched um, up to 3,000 cases. He, he is believed to have botched their diagnosis. So absolute negligence, absolutely not okay. I don't know what the other facts are of this case, but unbelievable. And the VA is actually, you know, take obviously taking steps, doing it very seriously, but they were exposed because it's like, what are you doing? What kind of people are you hiring? And um, there's also like a nurse that was um, caught stealing um, uh, opiates from patients. I mean, things that happen, you know, those are things that happen normally, you know, in other hospitals. But I thought it'd be interesting to share that, you know, 3,000 botched diagnosis, that's pretty unbelievable. I mean, what kind of oversight was this pathologist having? Uh, It looks like none, because how do you get away with that? Um, Or how come, you know, it took them that long to know that? So that's that. The last update, which I think is very controversial, and I don't know if you, you know about this, Todd, is Governor Gavin Newsom signed the country's first state law mandating later school start times. Were you aware of this? Yes, this is big. This is huge, guys. Because there's, you know, there's pros and a lot of possible uh, problems with this. Okay, I'm going to talk about that. First of all, this is in line with the American Academy of Pediatrics that called for students to get more rest and more sleep by aligning the school schedule with teen biological sleep patterns. And I, as a therapist, as a mental health professional, I get that. I know, I knew about that. I knew that, you know, we were kind of setting up our kids to fail in a way because of the, the starting so early. Um, and that there had to be some kind of adjustment that, that we would be, have to be prepared to make as a society, or at least that those were a lot of the recommendations from the sleep disorder community and the mental health community because of what they're finding in their studies. So um, kudos to, Ga- to Gavin Newsom for you know trying to um, align policies with what science is saying. And like I said, a lot of supporters are, um, are saying this is a great move in protecting our young people because the lack of sleep is l- linked to a lot of things, especially teen depression, car accidents, academic and behavior problems. Now, because I have mixed feelings about this. Now, critics say it could also backfire because of all the logistical um, problems that it presents, right? Think about it. For parents, you know, you're going to have to adjust your entire workday. For teachers as well, and teachers also have families, so there's a trickle-down effect. Just by moving that, uh, the clock or the time, you know, one hour later can have a disruptive effects on a, uh, a family and a community. How do you tell your employer that you need to come in later for work, right? Will they support you? What if you can't afford extra childcare, extra hour of childcare, you know? And um, what if the students have a part-time job or have extra cur- extracurricular activities? So everything has to move with this change. So that's where I think it could get really tricky. Um, like I said, I personally think it sounds great in theory, but we need the rest of the system to support it because otherwise it may backfire and it may actually not work. You know, um, it's a huge cultural shift. But the thing is, this is already in effect, you guys. Um, it's uh, expected to be implemented within the next three years. And it mainly affects middle schoolers and high schoolers. So the, um, the law is saying high school must start no later than 8.30 a.m. And middle schoolers no earlier than 8 a.m. So again, it sounds great in theory. Sounds great for our kids. But <laughs> I'd like that too. <laughs> but the whole system has to move with it, has to support it. Because it's going to be really stressful for parents and teachers and uh, I think employers too. So stay tuned to see how this will all play out. But it's here and, you know, we're going to have to figure out here in California anyway 
how how we're going to implement this. And they're saying too that this could be um, a model if it works out well for other states to follow. You know, California, we're always leading the way, whether for better or worse. So there you have it, guys. And now we have reached the um, one of my favorite segments, which I haven't done in a while, actually, called Inspiration Corner. Woohoo! So, like, um, as some of you know, this is uh, the part of the show where I talk about real life people from my practice, whom, of course, I do not name for confidentiality reasons, who whose story serves as an inspiration. Um, and so, I'm going to talk about. Uh, three female stories, all on the subject of sexual violence and sexual abuse. So the first uh, female is an adult, uh, you know, doing really well now. But when she first came, she was very, very depressed, um, had really low self-esteem, and really wanted to work on the long-term history of sexual abuse that she had perpetrated by her brother. And she, you know, didn't believe that she could even really begin to unpack it. But she knew intellectually that she wanted to. So that's, she came in with that presenting problem, so to speak. And fast forward to today, and with the help of this trauma intervention, trauma-specific intervention called EMDR that I do, she is in a lot better place. We have fully processed the abuse. Can you believe that? We have fully processed it. She is not triggered by it anymore. And I do this kind of treatment where EMDR is not just about talking about the past, but it's also about looking into the future where we identify the different triggers that would cause her to have flashbacks. So we identified, you know, there was a movie, um, Edward Scissorhands of all, of all the movies, um, that would trigger her and she couldn't watch any of it, right? Or if you just saw it in the background, it would trigger her. Um, certain things, you know, that even safe men would do around her or just even touch her, you know, un- unannounced, like, you know, a pat on the back, like, hey, good job. That would send her into some kind of flashback. So all those things, we isolated those triggers and we started clearing them. And now, you know, I'm happy to report that she's healed and those things don't affect her anymore. And her one of our last uh, behavioral homeworks was to watch the movie, Edward Scissorhand. And of course, you know, I'm giving you guys the short version, but there's a lot of things we do to prepare someone for that. We, we don't just say, do that, like, especially in trauma work. But she was, she did it. And she said she she was fine. There was no destabilization. There was no flashbacks. There was no, none of that. So that's what can happen, guys. If you seek help and you put in the work and you put in the time and you deserve to be free from this stuff, so she's a success story because of her courage and her commitment to therapy. And so are the, the, the other two women I'm about to talk about. The other female is um, an adult in her 50s. And unfortunately, her perpetrator is her father. And um, we've done a lot of work in, in clearing this stuff. And, you know, for her, she decided that part of her recovery means not having a relationship with her father. And sometimes that's what it looks like, guys, especially if the perpetrator is not really doing anything to help heal or repair or make amends or um, own what they did. So for her, that may sound, you know, kind of sad because, yes, it's her dad. But for her, this was actually really the healthiest thing to do and the most freeing and liberating thing to do is to acknowledge that and grieve the father she wished she had and acknowledge that that's not the father she was dealt with. And, you know, some people have real stories like that, that, you know, it's not the Brady Bunch. Not everybody has that kind of story, including myself. So for her to own that and and acknowledge that and not let it define who she is, that's why she's an inspiration. And fast forward to today, um, you know, a lot of the things we're working on is no longer about that. She, that's kind of just something that happened in the past. Um, there's still some residual stuff and how that affects her. And that's where we are today is now we're, you know, helping her uh, deal with relationship challenges um, that uh, come up uh, related to her self-esteem and kind of the pattern of men she's chosen 
in her life, which were largely abusive. So now we're at least kind of, you know, on on the next chapter of her life. So don't give up, guys. There's always help available. It is never too late. You're never too old. You're never too sick. You've heard me say that again. And that's from uh, Bikram Yoga. The last female, unfortunately, a lot of these are female because like I said, statistically, sexual assault and sexual violence victims are still largely female. One in five women are sexually, are victims of sexual violence compared to one in 71 men. That's why a lot of them, a lot of my um, inspiration stories around this are women. So the last um, female I would like to, sh- whose story I'd like to share is a female who is really incredible, very successful in many facets of her life, but there was always something holding her back. And a big part of it was her mom and also sexual abuse that happened. And for her, her perpetrator was uh, a, a staff at her child care center growing up. So, you know, really alarming, really disturbing. And at the time she was telling, we were working together, my child was in child care. So you can imagine like how my radar went up um, as I was working with her. But anyway, you know, this male staff would, um, I'm not going to get into graphics, basically would perpetuate the sexual abuse um, over over the course of a year or two, I believe, from what I can remember. And, you know, she didn't have anyone to talk to about it because her relationship with her mother was very, very oppressive and abusive, and dad was out of the picture. So this woman, you know, had to carry this wound and trauma for a very long time. And finally, you know, as an adult, she sought therapy and we decided to finally work on these things when she was ready. And fast forward to today, she is doing so much better. The sexual abuse was fully processed and she is you know, similar to the other uh, woman I talked about, this is no longer an issue for her. This We are now working on other kind of everyday stuff and marital challenges that she's going through. But the sexual abuse was cleared and she um, healed from that. And so I wanted to share all these stories to let you guys know that this isn't just something that, you know, in sometimes might 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 be able to be resolved. No, these issues are frequently resolved through therapy and the right supports. And there are thousands, millions of stories like this across the globe. So please, if this is you, you don't have to wait. You don't have to suffer. And there are real solutions to this. It's not your fault and you're not alone. Just take the first step. And if you think we might be a good fit, we specialize in this, give us a call, 619-823-1382. 619-823-1382 Transcend Therapy or go to our website transcendtherapyca.com transcendtherapyca.com Thanks for joining us today on Get Mental with Cecile Aarons. To learn more about Cecile, become a sponsor or guest on Get Mental, or if you have any questions about mental health, visit TranscendTherapyCA.com. That's TranscendTherapyCA.com. Join us next week at this same time for more talk on all things mental health on Get Mental with Cecile Aarons. No.